they believe they're better than you. You should do what they say. And you're too stupid to stop them from telling you what to do. So they tell you what to do. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Arizona, hey, from the beautiful studios of Phoenix uh, of the Nest, Phoenix Oh, I like doing that. And then, and later in the evening, when uh, James comes on, I'm, I'm better than in the morning. <laughs> now, this is what I wanted to do today. Um, while I was gone last week, you know, a lot of things deciding stuff. We may talk about it, but I tell you this. I, you know, of course, watch all of James's videos and I get a lot out of them. But the one globalization is dead. Long live the new world order. It's like uh, three back, you know. Now, the others are, of course, interesting and we've talked about them before and stuff. But that one was the one that I just was very excited about talking uh, with James and the audience. But more than that, I'm I, anyone that listens to the show a lot. I'm you know, every day I'm up here going. We're up against something. There's something. There's something. Something. It's a. It's a force. A philosophy. A religion. A. A, a club. A, a something. You know, secret handshake club. Are they them those of you know they got the manual from back in the day of thousands of this is how you rule people and there's too many of them we need less or something. I mean there is there is something going on that we there's a club we ain't in it. So I'm just like. And, and this focuses on the financing, but we'll get into some of the other stuff. But can you walk it back from the beginning of what you were talking about in this video and all of the competing monetary uh, interests being countries or regions and whatever, they try and give the impression that they're separate and in competition with each other. But that's not what I'm feeling, you know, and I'm, I'm, I, would you monologue for me and inform us, get us up to speed, please? Right. I'll tell you the impetus for this episode, which is the fact that I've been covering, obviously, so many aspects of the globalization agenda and all of the things that are happening around it over the years that I have heard over and over and over again some version of the narrative that the BRICS are the saviors and they're the ones that are going to take down this Washington consensus, IMF, Pax Americana, world, post-World War II world order system. And they're, they're the ones that are going to save us. So some version of that. And that could be the Putin is a great guy and he's he's sticking it to the globalists version or or China is going to be some great wonderful force in the world or you know I'm sure you've seen these types of stories yourself and I even see it, it propounded in the independent media where they will put up articles that are just singing praise to the Chinese government to Vladimir Putin um, again, I'm sure you've seen this. So I am sick of that because sometimes I get lumped in with that and people say, how come you never criticize Russia? You must be a Russian bot. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> no, no. My point is, yes, absolutely. I am 100% against the globalist world order as we know it in the Kissinger, Rockefeller, Brzezinski, who have you formulation of Bilderberg and trilaterals and CFR and all of that story that hopefully your audience knows well by now. But there's another side to this coin and it is the same coin. And that is the multipolar world order. Yes, we're going to overturn this, this new world order system of the, the, the banksters, and we're going to replace it with a new world order system of the BRICS or whatever formulation they come up with, the, the people who are going to be against this. But my point has always been, at base, it is the same thing. It is the same desire and urge to form blocks of power. 
exactly as I'm sure you've alluded to in the past, they just want to barter for a seat at the mahogany table. They don't want the table to go away. They don't want to make it a free world for free humanity to freely interact with each other. They just want to make sure that they have as big a swath of the globe as they can get their hands on. And realistically, that's not going to be the world unitary superpower position that America has occupied, at least since the end of the Second World War. And they know it. That's why Russia is not trying to take over the globe. But they'll take their share of the globe. China isn't trying to take over the whole world. But, you know, if we can get their Belt and Road Initiative to hook us up with, to make it into Eurasia. We'll take Africa. We can get into <laughs> Africa. You know, we'll take that. that. We'll settle for a bit of that. It's the same thing. And these people are not on your side. So I wanted to show that. So I showed that first by showing that the New World Order, obviously, is a thing that has been talked about for at least a century now. And I placed that in its historical and political context. And now they're talking about the threats to the global liberal world order of the Western free world, the democracy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. What threat? Russia, China, Iran, oh. these people who are the boogeymen of the world order system, precisely so that they can be the, the antithesis in the thesis, antithesis, synthesis, the dialectic. They are moving us into a new system. You can't do that unless you put the old system against something else and something completely different will fall out of it. The something else is the BRICS, the multipolar world. That's what they want to butt up against this new world order vision. And what falls out of it is going to be, well, I mean, to be decided, but however that, that, that thesis and antithesis collide, it's going to be bad for us. And that's my point. You know, um, when you talk about there, you know, there, there's opposition, there's going to be a, a head butting and there's going to be something precipitate from that. Um, all I can see is you have Google, which is like the U.S. State Department that, I mean, literally, you know, they're just, you know, the foreign whatever. And they're working with China to create their surveillance state to dominate and surveil the world. And I'm going, where's where's the line? You know, where's the difference? You know, there's no difference. There's just there's just negotiating for cattle. You know, I mean, literally, it, they're, you know, it's, uh, you got to get your social security number so they can collateralize you so they can sell a bond to China. You know, they got to, you know, the, the uh, United Nations declares all this natural resources and land and parks in the U.S., a bio, you know, diversity of you're not allowed zone so that we can collateralize it. And we'll take that later. You know, it's, um, it's definitely, it's a resource thing to where you have natural resources which include human beings. And I'm, it is, the attitude is so blatant, it's so obvious, and it's so supported in legislation and action and herding and software and, you know, your, your social score. I mean, you know, it's just getting ridiculous. And it's like because they think they can. They can because we let them. They can because they're taking advantage of our good nature. And when I say they, I'm always saying, you know, they, them, those. Or those just want to be left alone, those won't leave you alone. That's, that's my line. But the thing is, is it's easy to recognize them, but what's their common trait? Their common trait is that they lack, um, 
empathy, compassion. They're sociopaths. This is a, a whole new thing for me for the past couple of years. Dr. Frank, you know, we do the Trump report with this is something that happened in his personal life as a family member or a group of friends or something and reads the sociopath next door. And then he kept going, yep. Hillary sociopath, Cruz sociopath, this is a sociopath, he said, and he's doing the traits of him and so on. And the one thing that really stuck with me is what I didn't, I always hear psychopath, sociopath, what the hell does that even mean? But over the decades of me doing this and activism and meeting with legislators and lawyers and judges, and I'm going, there's a common thing. These guys are messed up in the head. I go, there's something wrong with them. They had this, they go, well, they're the elite. You know, they live in the ivory tower. You got all these euphemisms, all these words that try and describe this one thing. They believe they're better than you. You should do what they say. And you're too stupid to stop them from telling you what to do. So they tell you what to do. And they got a gun and a guy with a shiny badge to make you do it. And, and you should thank them for it, you know. This mindset was not what this country was founded on, and the promise that was made us. It was to protect us against exactly these kinds of people in detail. In the Declaration of Independence, you bad guys do this, 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 and this, and you harass our people, eat our substance, and, you know, be gone. We're way past, you know, us understanding that they're bad, they're bad. Freedom, good government, bad. Certainly this government, and certainly the people that inhabit it. As you look around, you'll see they're all like that. And whenever there's somebody, you know, comes up, they get shot. I mean, Latin America, Mexico, I'm here in Arizona. I'm telling you, anybody gets up and kind of the people, eh, and he's dead, okay? And, and certainly in Mexico. So this here, they don't even make it to the ballot. There is a system. This is what my biggest challenge in the 90s going to the Ninth Circuit, blah, 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 was on this. They eliminate competition before it start, starts using election laws and so on. So if you come to that conclusion that these guys are just, they're, they don't have, see, I don't want to say they're not human or not. The sociopaths have been with us, you know, they're like four or 5% of just, you know, people. But why do you want to give these people a shiny badge and a gun? You know, there is no government you're going to have, no consolidation of power and influence that they're not going to get in charge because they seek authority. That's why they're professionals in a lot of areas. And a lot of times they're very smart, you know, and they take advantage of our good nature. That's what I think we're up against. They seek power. They seek money. They seek influence. And I don't think it's just about the money. There's something else driving these people. Now, if they need to be Jeffrey Epstein and, you know, uh, use whatever video they get on you to do, and there's plenty of weak-minded, weak-willed people that they can take advantage of, they will. Don't feel, you know, bad about it, and they'll groom and train the 13-year-old's going to give you a massage and not worry about it one one bit, and thank you. You know, so I, I'm not it's like we need to have a sociopathic test for government or something. I, I, you know, how far off am I? I mean, are you, are you feeling this? I am. And I see that you're not as, uh, as faithful a corporate report listener as you should be. I've been ah. talking about this very thing for at least nine years. Go back to episode 90 of my podcast. I think 2009, 2010, 
I was talking about our leaders are psychopaths, and I've talked about it a number of times over the years. This is precisely what it boils down to, the lack of actual empathy, the lack of ability to even feel or understand other people's uh, emotional life is, unfortunately, does make people very well designed for the psychopathic institutions that have been erected around us, which okay, is what government are they? Is. Okay, is is it a psycho? Is it these institutions? Is government a a uh, sociopathic psychopathic? And what's the difference between the two? Is it is it that they, they draw these kinds of people, or is the institution that way from its beginning? Yeah. Yeah, chicken or egg. Good question. Um, there's a lot of things surrounding this that is not as uh, as not as hard sciency as I think many people would like. So there's no litmus test like, oh, here's the litmus paper, and oh, it turned it turned pink. That means you're a psychopath. I mean, there's nothing that you can do to do, to really determine this. There are certain brain scans that seem to show different things, and and there are tests to try to determine psychopathy. But it's a little <laughs> bit like Blade Runner, with uh, was it the Voight Camp test, where they're trying to give the uh, the 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 person, this test, to try to discover, are you a, are you a replicant? And it's kind of like that. You have to, can, can we suss it out? So there is no, there is no magic thing. Um, there, and even within regards to psychopathy versus sociopathy, there are different definitions that have gone around. Um, the one that I have latched onto that I think is explanatory is the one that says psychopaths are actually people who are born without the ability to empathize. They are born that way. Their brain chemistry, whatever it is, makes them into that type of person. And they are they are from that that way from birth. But that's probably about a one percentage point of the population. The other two, three, four percent, depending you know how you measure it, of sociopathic people are people who have have the innate human ability. They weren't born without you know, the ability to, to empathize with other people, but they have been indoctrinated into a psychopathic system that has made them into essentially in the, in the image of the psychopaths. And the example um, specifically that I would cite with regards to that was Abu Ghraib, where you had uh, Philip Zimbardo, who did the Stanford prison test and all that. He was brought in to, to look at the situation and what happened and why are these, you know, farm boys and girls from the Midwest, why were they suddenly going out to, to Iraq and doing and participating in this torture, this horrific stuff? Are, are, does this does this speak to the average person out in Idaho? You know, like, is this, what what does this show us? And his, his idea was that, yes, it's the system and the framework that these people are placed into that allows them to essentially become, to exhibit their sociopathic nature. Not that they are psychopaths from birth, but they were placed in a situation, in a context, and it doesn't exonerate those people from the actions that they did, nor should it, but it, it helps to explain how that can be fostered. And that's exactly what the Pentagon knew it was doing when it created oh. something like Abu Ghraib. They yeah. knew that was going to be the result of it, and that's why they did it. You know, so it's the psychopathic institution that creates the, <clears throat> our, the cadre of sociopaths. There was a movie... That I don't know why I saw it was after the world of court, according to Garp. You remember that one with uh, Robin Williams and John Lithgow? That was the first time that I had seen him. He played the transvestite or the transgender, whatever, in, in that uh, movie. And there was another movie he was in. I liked him in that movie. I just, you know, kind of started watching it. I watched it to the end. I don't remember what it was. But he played a. Uh, a psychiatrist or a, a psychotherapist or some kind of a doctor, and you didn't realize until you get to the end of the movie that his child he raised in a certain way in the basement in a glass case that kind of you know whatever it was to create a sociopath, 
And it was, and I didn't really understand. I go, why? That's just a crazy movie. What the, you know, and I just kind of never, it was like a decade or two ago. I mean, it was, so uh, one of his early movies, and you can probably look it up and find it, but it was at, uh, the idea was that at a certain age between, you know, like six months to two years or a year to four, there's, there's a, there's a time in there that, even if they were born with the capacity to have empathy, you got beat it out of them, literally. So then you start having when Romania, Shashescu, uh, they over they uh, overthrew him at the time. They had all these babies in the cribs that were just they had baby factories that were just trying to you know increase their population, and they they, they didn't get held or coddled and there, and they were just you know whacked out from that. So you got a whole generation of this stuff. So all of this was before I start to come, you know, to terms or understanding of these people because I had met them my whole life. And a lot of times you'll do an activism, you meet with politicians. They're like this. They're just something off about them. And I'm going, were they born or made this way? When you're talking about these institutions and the way they are and what happened to Abu Ghraib, I'm wondering if, like, the experiment that the Pentagon knew what was going to happen there, and he encouraged it, wanted it, allowed it, didn't care about it. Does Congress work the same way? Oh, is that a question? Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I, I think, I mean, there might be differences. For example, the program to set up the, that situation in Abu Ghraib, I think, was way more calculated, and there was science behind it. In fact, they... They were working on the, the work of Martin Seligman, who is known for learned learned helplessness slash learned optimism. That's something that he studied. And they were finding ways to weaponize that in the Pentagon and through their torture program. That's a fascinating story that I really need to do an in-depth study on because... Uh, yeah, say that again. They, they were what? They were weaponizing the work of Martin Seligman, who is a, uh, a, a S-E-L-I-G-M-A-N, who is a, a psychologist who is famous for... Uh, I don't know if he did the original tests. Maybe he did do the original experiments. Anyway, he did experiments on learned helplessness, which is the idea, for example, you, uh, some of the original experiments, you take dogs and you put them in an environment where they are on an electrified floor and you give them a shock and they'll jump over uh, a little barrier to get off with a shock. Mm -hmm. And um, eventually you... Uh, there were, so they did a couple of test groups and one of the test groups they restrained in a way that they couldn't jump over the barrier. Uh, so that they would just get shocked. And when they removed the restraints after conditioning them to essentially accept the shocks, once they removed the restraints and those dogs easily could have jumped over the barrier and gotten out of the shocks, they didn't. They just sat down, they just lay down and took it because they, they had been trained essentially that there's nothing you can do, you're going to get the shocks, so you just take it. And so these dogs actually didn't even do their natural response to jump out of the way of the shock because they'd been trained not to. It's the same, actually, the same way they train elephants for the circus. When they're tiny, they chain them up with these big heavy chains that they can't possibly break when they're little baby elephants. By the time they grow up, you just got this flimsy little rope that they can easily break, but they don't even try because they don't even think to. That's learned helplessness. And the, the flip side of that is learned, learned optimism. The idea that the, your mindset contributes to the way that you approach the world and the things that you are willing to attempt or not willing to attempt and you can actually train yourself out of the habits of i can't possibly do this oh i i just have to accept it oh, the world's just out to get me or that that sort of mindset that people get into and so his work has been about trying to to coax that out of people learned optimism the pentagon took that and said well how can we use this to torture people more effectively 
essentially. So they started working on that, and that that was that was swirling around the whole Abu Ghraib and the and uh, what's it called X-ray at Guantanamo Bay and all of that. They were they were working with psychological operations officers trying to find out better ways of torturing people. Okay, well, um, so well torturing who? I mean, you know, the, crafted psychopathic institution. Okay, so so. It, was it really an experiment just on the uh, the inmates, or were they also on the guards? Ah, you know, that's the million-dollar question. Because I've only ever seen I'll bet that. You I, was. I, I'm going off of memory here. I've only seen that talked about with regards to, obviously, what they were doing to the detainees. But, yeah, how does that? What does that mean for the guards? And I'm sure <laughs> there is some layer of the bureaucracy that's looking at this and thinking, how far can we get our people to go in doing this? Yeah, no, see, I, I'm thinking that, you know, it's a— uh, well, of course, I mean, what, what information are they getting from, you know, the detainee? This was just like a Nazi um, research camp, you know? Yeah. They were thinking, yeah. ooh, we got any twins in here? I mean, you know, it, yeah. it's, you know, I, I get the impression of, because I'm just now dawning on me now as you're talking, I'm going, what the hell did they think they were going to get from these guys? They get whatever the hell they wanted. You know, maybe the experiment, maybe it was, it was an experiment yeah. wasn't just on the inmates. It no, was on no, the soldiers. I think, I think one of the things they might be experimenting for is what they can get the detainees to say. I mean, they're not trying to get information out of Al-Qaeda. I mean, they know whatever information they need to know about Al-Qaeda. But what can we get these people to say and under what circumstances? What can we get people to, to falsely confess to? Like, say, oh, I don't know, KSM. The mastermind of 9-11 from A to Z, who was confessing to uh, plotting to blow up buildings that weren't even constructed when he was uh, detained, right? I mean, that kind of tooth fairy level nonsense that was being woven around this story. And he is one of the main sources, the torture testimony behind the 9-11 commission. So it's very useful for the, uh, the planners to be able to understand exactly how they can torture people in the right way to make them falsely confess this or that thing that they want them to falsely Yeah, I'm confess. looking up here. I'm looking up Jose Padilla. I remember 9-11, they did him sensory deprivation, held him in, you know, uh, you know who I'm talking about? Name rings a bell, but... Um, let's see, October, known as uh, Abdullah Al-Mujajir, uh, is a United States citizen from Brooklyn, New York, who was convicted in federal court of aiding terrorists. Padilla was arrested in Chicago May 8th, 02, on suspicion of plotting to, you know, yada, 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 yada. And they, um, he was held for three and a half years as an enemy combatant. Upon pressure and lawsuits from civil liberties group, he was transferred to civilian jail in 06. Uh, found guilty of, uh, you know, what happened to him. It was, they... Uh, sensory deprivation. You never saw him without a hood on and earphones, you know? So it was just, they were constantly torturing him, even going to, a lot of times, the only relief people they get, they put him in uh, solitary confinement, is they get to go to trial. You know, they get to go to the court. Nope, he can sit there, but he's wearing his hood and his ear. I'm going, what the F are they doing? What is the point of this? Why are, and it's so expensive, like, you know, we're going to get him and twist the knife. What I was looking up here, it was um, John Lithgow. It was called 1992. It was called Raising Cain. Raising Cain. That, um, it was so dark and so weird that I, I didn't at the end did not. I'm like, what the heck? So he was the dad raising this kid that didn't, he became crazy of what I'm like, what the heck? And it's not until recently that I look back and I go, I understand what that movie is about. It was him creating sociopaths. 
it was a time and it was they were talking i don't know what they were outing but it was this is 92 so this is a while ago but they're outing the concept the idea that you can selectively and at the right time jack up children and we know this you know with our way our you give everybody welfare and kick the father out of the house and, you know, and the housing of the kind of the projects of what, and then you wonder why you got jacked up kids, you know? So I'm just going, it, it seems all can of I, this. Uh, can like I a, interject with another suggestion for you from the Corporate Report Archives? I did a film literature in the New World Order episode on a book called Walden 2 by B.F. Skinner. And you know B.F. Skinner as, of course, the one of the founders of the behavioralist uh, movement in psychology. Uh, from the early 20th century, and he wrote Walden II, which was a follow-up to Walden, of course, the the utopia of what's his name Thoreau or whoever. Um, this, give me give me the episode number. You always go by your numbers. That's an excellent question. Ah, you don't remember what we're talking, but uh, <laughs> but the, the book was about B.F. Skinner's proposed idea for how to create a utopia, and the the idea, of course, is to basically uh, train and condition children like animals, from the time they were born, into how to be perfect model citizens. And of course, it was kind of that brave new worldish idea. You're going to be conditioned into the type of life you're going to lead, and then everyone will have their perfectly defined role in society, and they'll be conditioned for it, and they'll be ready for it, so as society will work perfectly right out of the box. It's Film Literature New World Order number 17, B.F. Skinner's Walden II. Um, so definitely worth checking out because i think it uh, it's absolutely what you were talking about right now and yes thank been you talking about that for what 70 80 years now and even before then um they've been talking about this i, idea and I see little bits of this i even experience it i meet these people but it never it, it it never clicked i didn't understand i was thinking that it was just something wrong that they're one part no it's a it's it's systemic you know, it, it's because this is how many times have I asked? You, I go, what are we up against? I mean, there's something we're up against something. Now, if if you have you ever read the Bible, you're straight through, just read the Bible. Uh, not cover to cover. No. Okay, you know, I mean, it's passages. Sure. Yeah, no. If you if you read the Bible straight through, I did because you know I you know because I did. So uh, I was like, uh, I moved out. I'm on. You know, travel around the country working and so on. I did college for, you know, six months. That wasn't for me. I'm out working and um, uh, around the country and so on. And I decided to read the Bible straight through. I didn't have a television, no radio or not. I just read books. And I got most of my understanding of the world from science magazines and um, things like Clavel and Michener, you know, kind of historical novels. You kind of get the geography of the planet, a little bit of culture and so on. So that helped me a lot. And the whole time I read the uh, King James Version of the Bible because I thought I was supposed to. And then I read the good news after that because, damn, you know. So um, in that whole process, you learn a lot. And it's a lot, you know, there's a lot of consistency. I go, really? They never told me that. I mean, that was kind of crap, you know, whatever. But you have two books, the Old Testament, the New Testament. The New Testament is a testament. It's like, this is the New Deal kind of thing, right? So I, there's a lot of good stuff in there. But the wisdom doesn't come from, you know, a lot of, uh, whether it's consistent or true or whatever. That wasn't my point. The wisdom is in the relationships, in how you act. You know, the Ten Commandments. When you do this, this happens. How you treat your 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 wife, your wives, your slaves, your employees, your I mean, you know, the things that you can expect. 
what kings, how they look at their subjects, how the subjects look at their kings. You don't want kings. Oh, yeah, we do. Okay, you guys, you beg for it. You know, I mean, all this stuff and how you you have your own court system and Corinthians and so on, they talk about don't be with the world over here and have your own and decentralized. and what. So it was very influential on me to be able to spot the bad guys. When I did, after we got married and started having children, that's when this oh, I started getting involved in meeting it. I'm going, whoa, I know the character you are. In this book of the whatever during the story of, holy crap, man, run away from that. Now, of course, they had the carrot, and you know, this all could be yours if you only join the, you know, Satan worship into the world of the hell. I mean, you know, I mean, didn't say that, but I mean, you might as well have been the same thing. And I'm going... No, I don't want, no, I don't care how much you often pay and whatever. I know how this story ends. Certainly, you know, from what, and it had a logical conclusion. There was a lot of wisdom in there. Many times I would have a, a, a book in my uh, passenger, like door thing of my car. Because when my wife would be driving, you know, I'd just pick it out and do it. Or if I needed, I had a problem or a, it's like flipping a coin, just open up the book and read a couple of paths. Okay, you know, that inspired me to something. I mean, there's a lot of decision went that way. My friends, you know, bring it. What's this, Ernie? Oh, my God, atheist friends. You know, oh, my God, well, I can't believe, you know, it's toilet paper. And I, and I go, there's a lot of wisdom in there. Just open up something, you know, talk about. So I, the one thing that I got out of that was the, um, if you equate, if you change evil, if you change, everybody's got evil, does evil even exist? And does he, all that kind of stuff. But if you substitute evil for a sociopath, all of a sudden it makes all kinds of sense. It, these people, there wasn't empathy. There wasn't compassion. This is what Christ was all about. You know, this compassion thing. And it's only in the last months, year or so that I'm starting to, I start to understand. I'm going, we've been fighting this battle forever against this four or 5% of these people that take advantage of our good nature. And then they just dominate rule and get over. And then we make a system to protect us against them that then they take over and they're in charge. And I'm going, when are we going to learn? That's what we're up against. A mental uh, absolutely right. In fact, since this is getting very pluggy, why don't I plug another thing from the Corporate Report Archives? Episode 189 of the Corporate Report podcast, Choose Life, which was based on, well, a passage from train spotting, but really the actual source of it is Deuteronomy 3019. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. And the point where I was trying to make in that episode is that ultimately for me, this is what it boils down to. There are, there's the human and the anti-human. There's life and death. There's blessing and cursing. And the crazy part is that people can be made to go along the path of death and destruction and hatred and all of that horrible stuff. When you think, you know, people want life. They just want to get along with each other. They just want happiness. They just want to be with their family. But there's that death drive in humanity. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's spiritual, I don't know what level it takes place on, but at any rate, there is that death drive that that manifests in that four or five percent, whatever it is of the population, that actively works towards the destruction of humanity. And I, I articulated this in one video that I did once that, that gained um, some popularity. Um, 
uh, I was talking about, because uh, I was a teacher here, obviously, in uh, Japan, English teacher, before I started doing this full time. And I, I remember I was teaching at a kindergarten here once. And so I'm working with four-year-olds, five-year-olds. <laughs> and one of the, the activities, there was going to be like a little marathon race in their city. So they were uh, coloring little flags that they were going to wave along the route as people were running by. And so there you have the kids and the, the instructions were, here's this little flag. It's just a little square of paper. Just color it however you want. Make it a little pretty design, whatever. And I, I remember watching two girls sitting side by side doing this. And one was doing this very careful and it, it wasn't elaborate. She was just very carefully coloring little bars, kind of almost like rainbow kind of bars of color. And um, she was spending a lot of time on it, doing a very good job. The person next to her, the girl next to her, was just doing her own thing, scribbling, whatever, making sort of just color blotches. And so th that girl looked up at one point, and she looked over at the girl next to her, who's doing this very careful, beautiful pattern. Um, and she she saw oh wow that's really that's really nice that, like you could see the the gears going in her head and then you could see that moment of her calculating what to do and she looks and she takes her crayon and she just scribbles all over the the beautiful patterns that this girl had been doing she had that urge for destruction oh here's someone who's doing something beautiful and 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 nice and i oh look at this mine looks terrible that's it i'm going to i'm going to make hers ugly too so she goes and smears her crayon all over it that is one of the things that i think the the psychopaths play on in human psychology it is so much easier to destroy and to level and to bring everything down to the ground burn it all down I don't want to see someone else doing better than me. So I'll, I, did, I'll, did you, you challenge know. that action? Did you talk to him? Oh, no, no, no. I, at the time I was just observing it. And then of course you have to step in and separate them and no, oh, okay. Oh, you shouldn't do that. I mean, at, at a certain point, it's just a cleanup operation, but it was just fascinating for me and, and reflecting on it later and, and realizing what took place in that moment and realizing <laughs> if, if you were the psychopathic sort, you play on that. Because I think that's something we can all understand, like, oh, oh, like when you have that moment of, oh, this person's done something really beautiful, they're really good, I want to tear them down. We all understand that at some level. You know, level. there's uh, one child that wasn't, you know, one of our grandkids or anything, and they were over for an event one time, and um, he, we weren't paying attention, and he all of a sudden he was chasing one of the chickens with a shovel. And he was, he was trying to hit it. He was, you know, bash it, and the kid was about seven something like that and one of the you know demonstrative uh things that a sociopath would they abuse animals or something yeah. right yeah. so i remembered that you know that was a damler thing you know or whatever they're you know that's one yeah. of the you know traits and uh, i'm going whoa, whoa his dad goes up and he goes hey what the hell are you doing you know and he goes oh i didn't know you were watching me that was his only regret yeah, that's. Goes, well, I was trying yeah, to. I wanted to see what happened. I bashed his chicken with his shovel, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I didn't know anybody was watching me. You know, and, yeah. and it, he didn't. He's like, oh, he did something wrong because somebody saw him. That yeah, was his. Exactly that right. was his that's, logic. That's the thought process that gets me. Because yeah, kids do crazy stuff, and sometimes they're just not thinking or they don't know. Hey, I remember when I was eight or nine. I remember going over to my friend's house, and he had a cat. We didn't have a cat, so it was kind of a novelty to me. And I'm like, oh, I got to let's chase the cat around. So we're chasing the cat around the house, and like, as, as if we're going to do something to them if we, if, if we caught it. Um, looking back, I'm like, that was crazy. Like, why was, I, why was I even doing that? But I was just a kid. I wasn't doing it to try to inflict cruelty. It was just like a game for me. But, um, but if you get caught doing that, and you go, 
oh, I'm sorry, you caught me. <laughs> like, oh, you, I didn't know you were watching. That, that's when you got to wonder, because what thought process is behind yeah, that? Th- there was another movie. I remember um, I went, I think I went and saw it with my parents or something for some reason. I mean, because my mom wanted whatever. And it was called The Sailor Who Fell from Grace with the Sea. It was Chris Christopherson and Sarah Miles. I don't even know who she was. I don't even know how I remember that. But um, it was about them, uh, the kids. Finally, what they did is they drug a cat and they're dissecting it or something, you know. And it built up to this, and then it got to where, you know, they're going to do the same thing. And that in the movie, after they had the sailor that, you know, uh, was staying with the mother or whatever, drinks it. And, you know, oh, I know what they're going to do. And that's the end of the movie. All of these things, I'm going, God, man, what is whacked with them? Who are these people, you know? And, of course, the movie makers or whatever they're trying to make a point or something, but they never made a a descriptive uh, educational understanding with statistics or whatever that these people exist. It's not as rare as you think. They go to certain positions of authority and power. They are a certain percentage, probably throughout human history. You have people that got, you know, different, you know, they're, they got a lot of hair, less hair, red hair, freckles, black, white, whatever the hell they got. You know, there's traits, but it, the same thing is the brain has some variety too. Now, a lot of these people throughout history, they may be very, you know, useful in, I don't know, saving us from something. I mean, I don't know. There might be some role that diversity and humanity has this, but I would like to at least be able to recognize them and probably not put them in charge of me, you know? So I'm just, I, I, is there any way you think you could create a government that would protect us from these people or prevent them from being in, or maybe they got to take a test so the voters know or, or something, or you just don't have freaking government. I mean, yeah. you know, Ernie, you're talking like a statist here. I know, wow. I know, Thanks I know. Really I'm just going, well, that was the, you know, tonight at the presentation, they did um, a thing on um, uh, preferences. It was a Mises thing. That, and what he did is he gave everybody a menu. You chose from like four items, your entree for lunch, and then a side dish, and then a drink. And you did it for day one, day two. And the point that he was making is no matter how you chose, the majority of people are not going to get what they want. You know, people chose this, but not this. So if you try and just, well, you're just going to have, like we, at the dinner, we always go and like tonight it was steak, but sometimes it's salmon, sometimes it's whatever. And you get whatever side dish and your dessert. And tonight was very good because I guess it was a Christmas thing, but you know, I'm going, okay, I vote this. But the point that he was making, you go to a socialist, this is like around your Thanksgiving or Christmas table, you do this kind of thought experiment with this people. You got a socialist. This is how you deal with it. And they go, it's all about preferences. It's not about ratios or predictions. or It's just individual preferences. Catalactics. He actually said the word, and I wanted him to describe it more. And he goes, that's ah, a whole other thing. But, you know, I'm going, you know, I learned a new word from James. No, 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 no. So it's, um, I can see that you can't, have selection or a government that's going to give even the majority what they want. It's not going to happen. It's yeah. it's free enterprise that does that. And I'm going, this is, so I can't come up with any justification for any kind of government that's going to work. And that's not even well, taken into account that the socialist has. Is, is the fear. And the fear 
comes from the, the sociopaths the others plucking on our and are out to get you. There are evil people that do evil things in the world. So the answer is going to have to be, well, government. And and I get that that urge because yeah, there is there is horrible things and dangers out in the world. I need some sort of security. But do I get to choose what security? Or no, no. You don't get to, to choose your own, that's for sure. First on you, a monopolistic <laughs> system and it's all in one basket. But don't worry. You get to cast a vote every few years to, to, to determine who's going to rule this monopolistic force of power over you and your family. And uh, you get to choose between psychopath A and psychopath B. I mean, it's it's that old canard about how, okay, so there's a serial killer out there that wants to kill you know people and, and randomly and innocent people. Horrible, terrible. And that serial killer in an incredibly, unbelievably prolific career of serial killing may kill a, a couple dozen people, maybe? Uh, and that's an incredibly prolific serial killer, unless that serial killer is in power in government, and then they can kill millions. And that has happened over and over and over throughout all of history. It does not stop. And people still say, no, we need these psychopathic killers to protect us from the psychopathic killers. You know, I it's had cool. this realization back in, God, 94. If, if you check the internet, I don't know what Google way it is now. You might never find it. But anyway, you just go, um, uh, legitimacy of government, Ernest Hancock, and I bet you it'll come up. And the point that I was making, it was somebody making this argument. It was an email thread, you know, back in the good old days when you used to have good conversations, you know. And uh, a guy named Frederick Mann had a, a popular site back then that I wasn't really aware of, but a lot of people knew who he was. And he asked me if he could publish it. And I go, yeah, if you fix the spelling and grammar. But the um, the point that I was making, and they were saying this, well, if we don't have government, we'll, then we'll have, like, border disputes and riots and we'll do, you know, whatever you're talking about. And I made the same argument that you did. I'm going... You know, you're, you're, you're talking about because you think you might have, you know, neighbors yelling about their fence or a riot because of whatever. So we need to have the ability to wage freaking war and kill millions of people to do that. I'm going, I'm not thinking this is a good solution, you know? So I feel kind of anarchist from the beginning, long time ago. I, I could just see that it was not working. So I'm, I, I'm trying to figure out why, you know? Why can't we have... Now you go, well, if you have it local, you get more local. Well, how local? Is it my street? You know what I mean? Is it my city? It's my, I mean, I got a whole Phoenix city here that's taxing us into oblivion so they can pay the pensions on all this, you know, crap they guaranteed to firemen and municipal employees and the police that made it to where you can't hire anybody else but them and you can't privatize. We used to have rural metro where you could do that for fire. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, I'm sitting here watching it happen over my lifetime, living here in the bitty city of, and I'm going, look, I can't find a solution other than mechanisms like crypto and blockchain and, you know, preference uh, expressed in whatever way, you know? So I, I'm, I, I, I don't know what the solution is uh, other I'm than more, and more convinced that the solution when I understand the, the, the technology tends to drive society or at least society changes in the wake of technology. So we tend to think the technology is going to be the thing that if we use it in the right way can be the savior. I'm more and more convinced that's the cart before the horse. The horse is community. Whatever we do, there has to be a community of intention behind it that is using it in the right way. Otherwise, the technology itself is not going to transform us into good people. 
It's going to be a tool that hopefully good people can use, but we have to have the community first. Define the community. How would would that manifest itself? Uh, That's an excellent question. And I think now that we are in the digital age and cyberspace and all this, I mean, the, the possibility for communities of intention has never, in one sense, never been more on the table. And yeah, present. more available, I mean, the fact more that you and I are talking, I'm here in Japan. You are in Arizona. People are listening everywhere around the world. We would never have met in real life in any other era of human history. It just wouldn't have happened. But here we are. We're talking. And we are kindred spirits who believe so many of the same things and we're on the same page and we're looking for the same answers. That that itself is part of the solution. We're here and we're looking for the same the same thing. We're trying to manifest it in reality. That is 99% of the way towards the goal. The rest is the details. And let's work out the details, sure. But that's the that's the basis for it. So we have these communities of intention. How do we manifest that in reality? And that's that's in a sense what the 21st century is about. It's about how the old systems of, of control and structure, the nation-state system, that really is only a few hundred years old when you really think about it, but we tend to think of it as this thing that's always been there. No, the nation-state system is a construct that was useful in the previous age, given the previous technologies and the ways people previously worked together. Now we're moving into the post-carbon, technocratic, whatever, new world <laughs> order. So they're going to need new systems of control, and that's what's being worked out in the 21st century. Because they're losing control. It's decentralized. Our influence, our opinion is decentralizing, and they have to get it back collectivized and get us on the plantation of whatever the hell with our score or something. You know, I want to, before we finish, there's one of my very good friends and my partner on the Freedom Summit. He's an attorney here named Mark Victor. And we're good friends, but of, of late, he and I, it's not we're still good friends, but our philosophy is, 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 is uh, vectoring in different directions. And uh, he wrote an article on LewRockwell.com, and it was um, uh, about the Second Amendment, but really what he was pushing was, you know, can't we have reasonable gun laws kind of thing? And this is a hardcore, I've known as an anarchist libertarian, but he's wanting to promote, he's going to write a book. Is is friends, employees, family helping? He's doing. It's called "Live and Let Live" principle, and it's a non-aggression principle. But he's so pissed off at you know. Yes, I'm that libertarian. I mean, he doesn't like, and the fact that he'll bring up anything and reasonable, whatever, and the Larkin Rose types and Larkin Rose, he's debated and going, man, you just you're, you're crazy. You just sound crazy, or you're just crazy. Okay. Because he lives in a world that is doctors and lawyers and judges and whatever, you you just sound crazy when you're uh, no compromise kind of thing. So what he's trying to emphasize and promote and write about, and if you read the article on Lou Rockwell, you just put Mark, M-A-R-C, he spells it with a C, Mark Victor on Lou Rockwell, and you'll see all his articles, and you'll have the most recent one, I, I think, is on this, and he argues for reasonable gun control. And, you know, you don't want this and that. and everything. So he, in arguments and discussion, we're at lunch and so on. He's trying to get me to, you know, endorse. Of course, I'll help him. I go, yeah, I'll help him promote whatever. You come on the show. We'll talk about whatever. But he goes, what I want you to do is I want you to abandon this crazy anarchist, you know, and join the, you know, whatever. The I'm like, it ain't going to happen. You know, I don't see that happening. Join the collective, Ernie. Come on. Well, his thing is, I mean, he comes out and says it. He goes, in what you're wanting is, yes, we want to use coercive force to enforce the non-aggression principle or the LLLP, live and let live thing. And he goes, we're going to enforce that. We want people. I go, 
everywhere? Oh, yeah. Eventually, there's going to be a one-world government that we want it to be libertarian that is going to enforce this principle of, I mean, I'm serious, dead serious. And I'm going, where did this come from, you know? It's and the one ring. It always comes back yeah, to the one ring. Yeah, I know, and I, and I, and I really it, 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 I feel I'm sad by it. But I know when it started, when Clint Bollock from the Institute for Justice was one of our, uh, it was our first keynote speaker in our Freedom Summit, the first one that Mark and I did in 2001, three weeks after 9-11. And uh, uh, Clint Bollock came here to Arizona from Washington, D.C. and worked with the Cato, uh, well, uh, Goldwater, which is Cato, you know, the Goldwater Institute here and everything. And he was instrumental in a lot of, you know, freedom-oriented legislation and such. And he was uh, a few years ago appointed Supreme Court Justice here in Arizona by Governor Ducey. Well, then, and Mark, you know, uh, they're friends, we're all friends, and so on. And then uh, Bill Montgomery, the county attorney that Mark worked with and debated on drug war stuff and everything, kind of, you know, they're kind of be buddies a little bit. He became a Supreme Court justice. And I know that had an impact on Mark. Hey, man, where's my, my turn, damn it? You know what I mean? You know, so I could see that he could go, there's certainly with Clint, a freedom oriented individual. Got to be Supreme Court justice. How the hell did that happen? You know? Well, I know the governor didn't do it to, I don't know, to make us look good. <laughs> you know, it was in their benefit in some way or some deal or something. And I'm just, I can see that that allure, you know, if you only just lighten up a little bit, if you only, if you only, if you only, and nice feather in the cap would get Ernie in agreement. You see my point? And I'm going... That's I, I can't see that happening. I, I it's it, there's no way these guys are going to justify their existence with me when they do this this this. I don't give a crap what you're talking about. And then he'll go on about and you know and I of course I got to answer for everything. You know that just pisses them off and then you're just crazy. You know. Yeah. And well, um, you and me are like this, but you know that most people are not wired the way we are, right? I mean I don't understand why yeah. most people are not going on base principle and following that. They are going for, well, we can get a compromise here and we can do this and we can do that. But to what end? I'm going, what's your goal? You know, because I, I ask people all the time, I'm going, well, what is it you're trying to accomplish? What, what do you want to attain? What do you want to, I don't know, for yourself, leave your grandkid? I mean, what, what is yeah. your goal? Well, that's the thing. I mean, what time frame are people working on here? Because my time frame, I realize what I want to happen in the world is a generational thing that involves mass education and change in consciousness that is not going to happen overnight it is not a practical thing from the perspective of someone who's like what can we do today that will improve my life tomorrow and we'll worry about the future in the future i'm not saying that my way of doing it is better i think we need both types we need the practical people who are going to do something that'll make things better tomorrow as well as the people who are looking at the bigger picture but those things sometimes do conflict and that's my that's my my that's my question right there is that um and uh, where my sadness comes in, you know, anybody, there's no central plan for freedom. You can do what the hell you want. In fact, that was Mark that came up with that in our description of the Freedom Summit. He goes, hey, there's no central plan for freedom, blah, 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 blah. And um, so I'm going, you know, I embrace it. I go, yeah, you do what you want. There was never an appreciation <clears throat> for the tactic that we had of being totally no compromise because it brings the hump, the masses this way. It makes him look moderate. 
<laughs> and he's going to open a law office this February in Honolulu too. You know, and I'm going, I'm going. Yeah, well, that's pretty liberal there. You're gonna be bat crazy there. <laughs> You're gonna be like like me here or something. I mean, oh my god. So you know, it's uh, so we have fun with it and we're still good friends. But um, there is a lack of appreciation for what. Before we end, I just want the audience, your audience, to know that um, uh, probably about May, April, May, my wife and I are consolidating everything. We're putting stuff in, you know, big storage containers and whatever and that kind of stuff, and we're going to hit the road. And the reason is is because a lot of our supporters have asked us and fund, and we were ready to kind of do this. Anyway. We need, I think the economy is going to take a dump, and we need to be more fluid and mobile and take advantage of opportunities, you know, pay down all our bills, you know, make sure we're all cop on, you know, taxes and credit cards and all that and kind of, you know, get some surplus money and more silver. And I'm just going, I want to be able to take advantage of home prices and land when the next time comes because I, I I've been around that here it comes okay I get over it and it'll be a year or two and uh my wife's a real estate agent and she took care of our children they all bought and sold right so they at you know 30 they're way ahead of what I mean I'm like woo I won't take my own advice so this time but what happened is there's an opportunity for us to hit the road and have you know nice motor homes or buses or whatever and pull cars and whatever the hell we're going to do. But we're going to uh, hit the road around America. And we're going to do the Levolution again, but it's kind of focused on one issue, and pirate decentralization, all that kind of stuff. But the main issue is going to be vaccine education. And I'm not like anti-vax. I'm just anti-mandate and I don't get a choice and this isn't crap and liability is not there and they forced down and you got us and I'm like whoa and it's so bad I've been covering this for three years it is so bad I don't think people realize how bad and evil this is and it's the same kind of if not the same people that share board of directorships with the bankers and pharma and media and all, and they don't care about your children or you. And there are more mandates are coming. It's going to be tied to whether you can even drive or fly or go. We're going to be like China, and man, you're taking the notions and potions from the crown whether you like it or not. And I am like, holy sh**. I know that we can have an impact on this. And with my 12 grandchildren and four kids, I cannot let this opportunity go by and live with myself if I know I can have an impact. And it's going to be to empower these parents and grandparents and family and friends that are impacted by this to be able to have the confidence to express themselves and do some street activism and get this issue out. Because I was at the discussion group, there's a few people there like, yeah, cool, right on, you're, you're right. But a lot of these guys, especially the doctors, now, oh, you, you don't know what you're talking about. I read the report and saw it on TV. And I'm like, whoa. This needs to be done so much more than I think people realize. You, you're so right about that. Here's a prediction for 2020. Social credit is going to be tied to universal basic income. And that is going, the forefront of that debate is going to be Dude, things like vaccine freedom. Right? Yep. It's going to be, health freedom is going to be the first thing out the window. And if you don't, you know, make sure your children are shot up in the way we tell you to shoot them up, you no know, social credit for you, no UBI for you, you're off the system. And, oh, oh, the economy's just gone up. And the only lifeline is going to come from government. You better be a good citizen. Yeah, you want your government cheese you pick up at the, uh, with, along with the water at the stadium? 
Got your shots. In 11, we um, had another thing. They were trying to get first responders to, uh, it was a big deal, you know, doctors, nurses, uh, EMT, emergency personnel, fire, police. They were going to make them get their shots. And we put signs up that said, uh, support first responders that say no to mandatory shots or the skull and bones and the hyperdrupic needles kind of thing. And we put them in front of all the, um, the fire stations, the police stations, and so on. Well, we got a lot of press and the media and all that. And finally, when they sent them out, you know, like, you know, fire departments, they were just sending them back. And I said, we ain't doing it, okay? You know, bite me. So it, they kind of went away for a while. And they're like, damn it. You know, we hate them. So, man, they're back at Arizona. Here they come. And I could see even then there was a lot of opposition to this, but they tie it to penalty. You know, you lose your job. You're not allowed to do it. You can't. What we did is we went to the unions and I go, look, there's, I guarantee there's going to be some police officer or a fireman that's going to say, and they had a, a group, kind of a lobbying group called Guns and Hoses, you know. <laughs> of course, they were lobbying for more money and all that kind of stuff. So they kind of worked together. And a lot of them were, you know, Iraq vets from Gulf War One. You know, that was how they kind of got their voting block and everything. So I understood who to go to. I've been through this stuff politically. So I go and I said, there's going to be some fireman and policeman that's going to say, I don't want to do it. Are you going to let them know there's legal help? Are you going to let them know that, you know, it was Mark Victor. I mean, he's going to help me with this. I go, you, you going to let them know that we're going to defend their right to not? Are you going to let them know? Oh, no, no. Oh, you're part of that. Oh, okay. Boom. We put the signs up. We knew we were going to because we knew what they were going to say anyway. This has been, and what they were going to do, as we found out, there was a pandemic. That's long story. Bottom line was this. It triggered a emergency action by the governor that these checkpoints that you have for sobriety checkpoints, you know, what they were going to do is they could see if you had been vaccinated or not. You got vaccinated right then or you were quarantined. You got in the back of the bus and you went to your little FEMA camp thing. And they were going, yeah, we're, you know, you don't have to. You can be conscious objective, but you're quarantined, not arrested, quarantined. This is how it's in writing. We covered it. Vaccine and vaccinations category on Freedom's Phoenix. You go back to the beginning of this. You know, it's like page 50 with all this stuff on it. You go to the beginning and you start there. Just the first four or five pages on there. You're like the first hundred articles or something. You go, whoa, we saw it coming back then. And it's here now. And it's tied to all this stuff that James is talking about. I'm 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 going to do this. It's going to be dangerous. I I think you know I it's I don't really think so. I mean I'm like on top of the list, so you know it's safer there. But you know I so I'm not sure I I, I run the same risk as a lot of other people because I'm not like anti-vax. That's not my point. You know my thing is is the mandates and all this evil that kind of I mean you should be able to say no. And then they go, oh no, not if you're going to use our public schools. Well, there's a first good another good reason to get rid of them. I mean you know and uh, oh but you have to go to the public school. Well, I want to homeschool. Nope, nope. And you got to get your shot. This is all so bad. And I'm feeling it's the same people, James. I think you're right. But I think I got to get running along with the rest of my day. So, day, gonna... day, I'm going to bed. <laughs> I guess, yeah, you better go to bed. Um, I was going to do one final plug since we're getting all pluggy here because Please. i know i've covered the uh, the pandemic uh, legislation that you're talking about before there was a model bill that went around that was getting passed in a bunch of states i think during the uh, swine flu crisis of right. 2009 remember that oh my god swine flu is gonna kill everyone it yeah was no, that's what when we were doing this of, 
in recent history. But um, yeah, I remember at that time I did a number of uh, podcasts and things on that. And I did talk about that legislation and the impacts on health freedom. I can't find it off the top of my head here. So just type health freedom into the search bar on Corbett Report. You will find lots of things about that and about the Ebola. Remember Ebola was going to kill us all a few years ago? Um, it comes around every few years. And that's always a possibility because remember, it was right after World War One, you had the Spanish flu, which mm. had nothing to do with Spain. It was probably more like the uh, vaccines and uh, experimental drugs that they were pumping into the soldiers, the American soldiers, before they shipped them off to Europe, right before the war ended. And But anyway, all that being said, oh, by the way, do you know that just several years ago, they were digging up corpses that would have been frozen in the permafrost up in the Arctic? Yeah, because uh, they needed uh, they needed cultures. So that they could isolate the flu and, and reconstruct it. Because if we don't do it, the terrorists will do it. There was a so book I read in the 80s this. called Contagion that was about that very thing. It was a guy that collected, you know, pathogens for it. And it was, it was just, this crap has been going on for, it's right in yeah. front of us. And I'm, you know, thanks. But let's not leave it here. We're, we're in the holiday festive season. Let's Thank have you. some happy <laughs> Christmas cheer or something before we end this. Well, up. I tell you what the, you know, what, uh, give it, uh, uh, I, I saw the movie Vax 2. Uh, one of the producers had it. We were meeting. They uh, had me and another gentleman watch it because my wife had already seen it with some friends and so on and um the last half of it was more about the unvaxxed children because these families they back they had something well they didn't do it again for the other kids or a lot of people they just didn't know we're not no hell no and they they're talking about the difference how much healthier they were and they're going you know to just feel better go and hug an unvaxxed kid you know, they're, you know they're, they're not the enemy they're trying to make out that oh my god they're going to kill it no they're not you know, go go give them a hug, and God, they're fine. You know, it's a, they want that stigma of you didn't get your shots. You know that kind. Of, so it, it encourage this healthy immune system that doesn't have to worry about this stuff most of the time. And when, even if you get the disease, it's like <laughs> I sick. I mean, you know, for a couple of days. So it's just I'm. There's a lot. There's a bright light, and the biggest bright light I, for all you guys is you got James Corbett. To explain it to us and Donna and I are going to hit the road and we're going to make sure that this is an issue in 2020, you know, just like awesome. we made, you know, that th it's not an issue. They want to keep it down. To, and I take it. I know how to take it to the street. It will be an issue. Here we go. Pace. Thanks, James. Take care.